Welcome back, Dad, to the Father and Son Pastoral Podcast. This is podcast number 14 from the Jesus Said That series, looking at every word Jesus spoke in the New Testament. Uh, Today's podcast is entitled, Jesus is Rejected at Nazareth, which is taken from Luke 4, 16 through 30. Mm. Last week I was, our last uh, lesson I was joking that I don't introduce you yeah. <laughs> and I forgot to introduce myself. So, <laughs> so I, I have in my notes here to make sure I introduce myself. Um, I'm Pastor Kenny Birch Jr., Associate Pastor at Colmer Manor Bible Church and creator of Theology for Everyday Life for Kids. So um, my dad and I, we work together at Colmer Manor Bible Church. Check us out. Check out the website. Love to have you come on a Sunday and uh, get to meet you. Absolutely. Um, I'm joined by my father, Dr. Ken Bird, senior senior pastor at Colmer Manor Bible Church for over 30 years. Do you know exactly how many years? Yeah, coming up 32 years 32. Uh, next month. Yeah. Okay. And how long have you been a pastor there for? 35. 35. So youth. What was it youth? And then, and then youth 10 years before okay. that. So long time. <laughs> yeah, that, that makes me over 40. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, and you're the founder of the Ken J. Bird Senior Foundation, which equips international pastors with preaching materials. So, and author of the Fire series. And most proud that I didn't raise a narcissist when he forgets <laughs> to introduce himself and going, that's a good day. Good. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, today's passage deals with another dilemma of faith. Um, Jesus will proclaim to Nazareth, the town he lived in, since he came back from Egypt. So, mm-hmm. um, it looks like I've done a lot of stuff with the dates. Yeah. And it seems like he returned back to Nazareth or went there for the first time. His parents were returning because mm-hmm. that's where they were from mm-hmm. um, when he was about two. Yeah. So if he's about 30, that's about 28 years, that's give right. or take a year or two. So they've seen him grow up. Yeah, they know him well. And he's going to say that he is the fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy that he is the Messiah. So people are going to struggle with that concept today. This creates a dilemma because if Jesus is the Messiah, then mm-hmm. they need to submit to him mm-hmm. or they could just shrug it off and try to kill him, <laughs> which they're going to try today. So we're going to see how faith requires action and how Jesus responds to rejection. So anything you want to add before we jump right into the text? No, he grew up in a great place uh, as far as the scenic view goes. I, I've been thinking, okay, see you, Galilee. About 15 miles east, you could see it if you go up on the hill. Then you have the Mediterranean, about 20 miles west. And then when you look up north, uh, east uh, direction, you have Mount Hermon, usually mm. snow capped. So the creator of all these things uh, had a great view uh, as he was growing up for these uh, decades. And it's important to comment, too, that it's a small town. Yes. Um, a lot of people didn't even know it existed until yeah. a couple hundred years ago. They actually found some evidence of Nazareth because right, yeah. it was such a small town. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it, it's an interesting place to live. I, I one day hope I can go to Israel and see all the sites, but uh, having about to have four children, it's Might kind be of a lot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so let's get to the text. Okay. Um, we're going to start with Luke 4, 16, and I have A here because we're just going to look at the first part of it. Right. He came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. So as you explain. This is about four miles from Canaan. Mm-hmm. So it's all in that region of Galilee. That's right. All right. So it's all kind of all around the sea mm-hmm. right there. Mm-hmm. That's all right. the ports. So um, a lot of fishermen. Mm. Uh, we mm. see a lot of trade. So in other towns like Capernaum, 
you'll see a lot of Gentiles. That's right. Uh, which is very important to the, the next uh, right. narrative. But many people were confused by Jesus's human origin mm-hmm. because the Messiah was supposed to be born in Bethlehem, which is why we get the narrative of how he was born in Bethlehem, then Herod tried to kill him, so right. forth, he leaves. Uh, most of us know that. However, as many of you know, he fled. Mm. Now, Joseph would later move out of Egypt and to Nazareth. The angel comes to him, says, you can go back to Israel. Mm-hmm. Then he finds out Archelaus is there, and he says, no, I don't want to go. Is yeah. there? Can I do something? And God in his grace says, go to Nazareth, this yeah. little tiny town, and you'll be in a different district. Mm-hmm. And many people wrongly assume that Jesus was born in right. Nazareth. Yeah. Well, they don't have the records we have. That's right. Uh, even to this day, people still think Jesus was born in Nazareth, or some do. I read this really dumb article from the Washington Post. I'll leave, I'll leave it at <laughs> I'll leave it there. Leave it no, I there. Right. But it was yeah. five myths about Jesus. That's right. And one was that he was born in Nazareth. Mm-hmm. But since that doesn't fulfill prophecy, Luke had to invent this crazy story about Herod massacring the innocent and so forth. So you're actually saying you believe uh, the scripture over to Washington <laughs> yeah, Post. Yeah, okay, Washington okay. Post I just wanted to check with a, that. Okay. A beacon of light in today's <laughs> society. So, But point being that there's yeah. still ignorant people now, as there were back then, yeah. so who rejected the truth of yeah. Jesus's uh, birth. Mm. So he's here in Nazareth, and it says in verse 16 that, Second part of it. As usual, he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. Yeah. I love that. Jesus is always in the synagogue. Yeah. I think it's, it's an example for us. Exactly. If we love the Father, obviously we go to a church, different time, but same concept. We're there to worship the Father. It was a priority. <laughs> and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. Unrolling the scroll, he found the place where it was written. Mm. Now, being a non-Jewish person, I don't really understand how synagogue worked, Yeah, <laughs> in all honesty. Yeah. So I had to do some research to say, hey, you know, what was a synagogue service like? Mm-hmm. The most I had seen, you know, maybe reading some in school. I find that college really doesn't teach you much, no offense. Um, and then, so I started to do some research. Mm-hmm. So I found a man, Butler, and he gave the order of a typical Jewish service at synagogue. That's good. So he said they repeated Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9. 11, 13 through 21, and Numbers 15, 34, called mm-hmm. the Shema. Um, and it's pleasing their allegiance to God. So we won't read all these, but it's mm-hmm. listen, Israel, the Lord your God. The Lord your God is one. Love the That's Lord right. your God with all your heart, mind, soul, strength. That's the first one. Yeah. Then we have Deuteronomy 11. If you carefully obey my commandments, I'm giving you today. Mm-hmm. And then it says how God will bless his people. Yeah. Obviously applies to Israel. So they were supposed to repeat that. Mm-hmm. Then Numbers 15, 37 through 41. And the Lord spoke to Moses, speak these things to the Israelites and tell them throughout generations. And then it's about their tassels. And if so, um, remember all that the Lord had commanded and obey them. So they would go through that. Yeah. So their liturgy. And next they prayed. And then they would heard a passage read from the Pentateuch Torah, then a passage from the prophets, a sermon, and a final priestly blessing. So it was was quite a service. Quite a service. (laughs) Quite a service. And, uh, I appreciate that because most people have no idea what went on in synagogue. But yet Jesus knew, here are all these hypocrites, mm. and yet he still goes to worship his father. He's a religious man in the sense of he just understands that he needs to go to honor his father. And I think it's a great model set. Because I see that so often today. People say, well, you know, the church around me is so bad. I yeah. just worship by myself. Right. And I mean, here's Jesus, the son of God. That's right. And he's going into a building with a bunch of people who want to murder him mm-hmm. or will want to murder him. That's right. 
So it shows you that hopefully your local church doesn't want to murder you. That's right. But it's the same concept. You need to be there worshiping. Mm-hmm. It's important. I mm-hmm. think that's kind of a timeless truth we can take from that. Exactly. So uh, Jesus was given the honor of reading the scroll and then preaching. Mm-hmm. So he read Isaiah 61, 1 through 2. Mm-hmm. Then he claimed that the passage was a fulfillment as they heard him read it. So they hand him the scroll. And I always remind, because I taught this at our young adult ministry, that chapters and verses were not added till about 1560. So I can't imagine if you're just given a scroll with, maybe it was the entire book of Isaiah, I did not know. Mm-hmm. But if you're given this scroll, and then you have to find it yourself. I've been told sometimes rabbis would just, when you're teaching, would not even give a reference. They'd expect their students. So can you really imagine <laughs> having the entire Old Testament? Oh. And then the uh, instructor starts to read and you're supposed to know where to go. <laughs> I'm going, okay, I feel very uh, immature at this point in my faith. But yeah, that's... Uh, so it wasn't until 1560, so very yeah. recent, mm-hmm. you know, in historical terms. Mm-hmm. And when I think about that, I think chapter and verse is helpful. Yes. But there are times, I think, when they separate the paragraphs wrong. or And then and people say, well, there's a change of thought where it's continuing. So. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's always good to remember that chapters and verses are not inspired. That's right. The words are. Good point. Obvious, but just good to state. Mm-hmm. So the spirit, and this is what he reads. The spirit of the Lord is on me mm-hmm. because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free the oppressed. Mm-hmm. Now, I never thought about this. I've taught this multiple times, but this would have could have been kind of offensive. (laughs) Think about it. Some of the people may have been offended because Jesus was calling them poor, blind, oppressed, and in captivity. Uh, I never really looked at it that way until I really started studying the passage. Because look what he says. I came to preach the good news. And I love the Spirit of the Lord Mm -hmm. on me. Mm -hmm. We're we're thought, we think of his baptism. Mm -hmm. He has anointed me or sent me to preach. But to the poor, the blind, the oppressed. I mean, it's like, woo. This isn't how you make friends and oppress no. people. <laughs> so um, indeed, Jesus was yeah. preaching to the poor because sure. this town was poor physically. That's right. And we're going to see they were spiritually poor, not poor yeah. in spirit as in being broken, but that they were bankrupt. Yeah. Um, and why did he come? To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, mm. which is a wonderful, wonderful thought. But then he rolls into verse 20 here. We have verse 20. He then, just jump oh, in yeah, one yeah, second. Go, no, go. that's all right. I, I, I appreciate it. Lord's favor, uh, the acceptable year of the Lord, probably referring to Jubilee hmm. uh, from the Old Testament. And that was the year that the captives were set free. And I think this is very important because Jesus's first coming is all about salvation. You know, for God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, John 3, 17, but that the world through him might be saved. So I think it's just notable that the passage that he reads from is in the context of salvation because that is why he is here. Yeah, go ahead. Well, okay. even when we think of Abraham, yeah. it was that his seed will bless the entire earth. That's right. And I mean, that's literally happening at, happening at this point. Yeah, yeah. More probably in the kingdom, but he is bringing his salvation to man. Yeah. So um, mm-hmm. but then he rolled up the scroll, gave mm-hmm. it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fixed on him. <laughs> so why were the eyes of everyone on him. And it's because he stopped speaking after only two verses out of a large passage. In fact, he did not read all of verse two. If we did this today, it would be like reading, uh, 
I don't know if we're we're doing the Lord's prayer and my Father in heaven, you know, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come and just stop. Right. And then sit down, sermon's over. Yeah. <laughs> people would be like, whoa, whoa, there's a lot more there. What, yeah. what, what's wrong? Some people would probably be happy that they get out quicker. But uh, we find why he stopped there. Mm-hmm. And we find the context, obviously, Isaiah 61. Mm-hmm. This chapter is about the Messiah. Now, notice when Jesus stopped reading to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Mm. The part that Jesus quotes is about the Messiah's advent or his first coming. Jesus, the Messiah, had the Holy Spirit in him and had come to tell Israel about the kingdom. He would teach the poor, heal the brokenhearted, and free those who are enslaved by sin and give them spiritual freedom. Jesus stopped reading because verse 2 says, the second half, and the day of our Lord's vengeance. And this is speaking about Jesus' second coming. Mm-hmm. Notice how all the verses following after Jesus stopped are about his vengeance and then the millennial kingdom. That's right. So Jesus stopped here because he wants to focus on his first coming, not his second coming, when he'll, he'll come with the sword out of his mouth and wipe out his enemies. Well, that's why he's not here. He understood his mission. Yeah. And the Son of Man has come to seek and save that which was lost. And that's why he's even at his, uh, with his homies mm. there in Nazareth. Because he still has a heart for them to be saved. Mm -hmm. Uh, But he breaks off before dealing with the tribulation because the second coming, you know, you got the sword out of the mouths uh, of the sun and he's going to wipe out his enemies. So it's just such a difference there, but it's so precise. Mm -hmm. It's so, it's so much our Jesus, isn't it? I mean, it just how he could take a verse and separate it, but yet it shows the difference between two comings. I marvel because that's just the nature of the scripture we respect. One thing I've noticed with studying prophecy, even Jesus, they kind of time jump a lot. Yeah. It's like they kind of all see things as one package. They do. (laughs) And we're kind of stuck in the middle of it. Mm -hmm. But I see that when Jesus is talking about end times, when he's talking, he'll jump from, you know, sending out the 12 to, you know, the future time of persecution. Then he jumps, you know, to Revelation. That's right. And But- I think almost in his mind, he kind of sees it as just one continuous event. Mm. We're kind of stuck here in time. Yeah. And that's where he is here. He's stuck in time where it's like, you know, <laughs> I'm here for the for the good stuff right now. Right. I'm not here for the future uh, judgment. So we got to understand that the people understood this context. That's right. They weren't stupid just because, no. you know, that's a fallacy to make. Well, they lived so long ago, they were stupid. No, yeah. those people knew their stuff. That's right. Um so the spirit of the Lord is upon me. He, he you know, he says to mm. proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he began saying to them, today, as you listen, this scripture has been fulfilled. Yeah. Um, I've never heard that <laughs> yeah. in a sermon today. You know, we're always looking to future promises unless obviously someone's saved or something. Right. But he's saying, hey, that scripture is being fulfilled today. And uh, Jesus was fulfilling his role as the Messiah, and this claim shocked his hometown because they understood. They understood. They understood the implication. You know, he's he's saying he's you know Messiah. Possibly, yeah. some would assume that was Son of God. Um, I found a quote from Ilcott who said he had left them as the son of the carpenter. Mother, brother, and sisters were still among them, and now he came back claiming to be the Christ and to make words that had seemed to speak all of a far off glorious dream as a living and present reality. Yeah. And 
Verse 22 is interesting because they were all speaking well of him and were amazed by the gracious words that came from his mouth. Yet they said, isn't this Joseph's son? Mm -hmm. So it's like they loved Jesus's words and received them positively at first. Mm -hmm. It's like, this guy's a good speaker. He speaks with authority. Um, However, they understood that Isaiah 61 was speaking about the Messiah. In their minds, they could not fathom how the Messiah could be a poor, peaceful man from their hometown of Nazareth. So we we really just see that's where their unbelief comes from. You know, this can't be. Um, it needs to be some warrior man or someone who will take down Rome. It can't be the carpenter's son. Uh, I marvel at context because mm-hmm. when Jesus goes to Isaiah 61 and he speaks about the acceptable year of the Lord, earlier in Isaiah, uh, in chapter 49, let me just read you uh, briefly from verse 8. This is Isaiah 49. Thus says the Lord in an acceptable, and by the way, the word used from the Greek translation, same word, a dektos, that is used in uh, Luke 4, in an acceptable time I have heard you, and in the day of salvation I have helped you. So it's clear, you know, he's claiming to be the Savior, and this is the time for their salvation. Paul picks up on this in uh, 2 Corinthians 6, 2. Uh, about the day of salvation. And he's doing this and they're hearing him and they're marveling. Uh, <laughs> at, at first, uh, they're listening to him speaking and then they're marveling at his gracious words. And then they asked the question, isn't this Joseph's son? <laughs> and the question expects a yes, because they know that it is. And then it's kind of downhill from there. <laughs> <laughs> Literally. So Jesus... Later on, he's going to speak in parables yeah, because he's he he knows the purpose of God must be fulfilled in that time that he needs to be crucified. He needs to die. That's right. So, you know, he's saying if if their eyes weren't closed at this point, they'd see. And if they would hear, you know, they would all proclaim a Messiah right. to much of the nation. Mm-hmm. But here he's just speaking plainly to yeah. them. Yeah. He's giving them the offer. Hey. I'm Messiah. This this is fulfilled. It's me. Yeah, so, <laughs> it really is. So he's yeah. not he's not hiding anything. Yeah, that's right. Not darkened. Uh, he's giving them just flat out mm. basic truth here. That's right. But Jesus, I think you could almost and obviously it wouldn't be inspired here, but I kind of think of John how he said and knowing their thoughts. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I kind of feel like that's how this that's quote right. could go. Yeah, because in verse twenty three says. Uh, no doubt you will quote this proverb to me, doctor, heal yourself. What we've heard that took place in Capernaum, do here in your hometown also. Mm-hmm. Uh, doctor, heal yourself is just another way of saying prove it. Yeah, take your own medicine. Yeah. Show us what you've yeah. done before. If yeah. a doctor's sick, he yeah. should be able to heal himself with his own treatment. That's um, right. In the same way the Messiah could prove he was the Messiah in their minds by performing signs and wonders for mm-hmm. the people. Mm-hmm. And I, I get a little tinge of jealousy too. Um, these people seem to know that the nearby region of Cana, Jesus had done some miracles. That's right. Was it the water to wine, or maybe they just heard about his healing of the dying boy? I don't know. Mm-hmm. But they obviously knew that what took place in Capernaum. That's right, yeah. <laughs> so therefore, the people wanted Jesus to perform for them in his hometown and prove that he was the Messiah. Yeah. So once again, just going back, no faith. It's all, let me see it, let me see it, let me yeah. see it. That's right. And uh, I always believe with be it arts, um, movies, whatever, with Christianity, Mm -hmm. uh, Bible, comic books, even like my own animated series, they're a complement to scripture. (laughs) 
because you're giving a visual, Mm -hmm. but at the same time, the word of God is the all-powerful source that you just have to believe. You shouldn't have to see Jesus or a representation of Jesus or how he might have been or how he could have talked or where he might have lived. Um, I, I think there's much more power just in the faith of saying this is what God's word says. But yeah, there's um, the Latin expression uh, "ipsuma uh, vox," uh, which is like the uh, the concept of Jesus's words. But this is uh, uh, "ipsissima verba," the very words. I mean, it doesn't get any clearer yeah. than this. You pointed out he's not speaking here in parables. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's just telling them, and this is, it truly is the voice of God, mm. telling them, I'm the Messiah, believe in me. And there is this jealousy that's going on, this, this hometown uh, pride because of what he's done elsewhere, and they don't like it, and, and it's all coming out, and their hearts are going to be exposed through that. But I'm just marveling, because I could not agree with you more. The power's in the word, and we have exactly what God wanted written mm. down for us. It's, it's the word of God. And that's what we need more than anything else. And the art and all is wonderful. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, yeah. It can be. It can be awful, too. Yeah. But uh, I think all of those things are just compliments that's right. that are not needed, that's right. but um, yeah. can help help you engage emotionally and so forth. But yeah. um, these people just needed faith. Mm. And he said, truly, I tell you, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. Jesus is going to enrage his hometown by giving them biblical illustrations of prophets being sent yeah. not to their Jewish hometowns, but to their mm. Gentile neighbors to perform signs and wonders for God's glory. Mm-hmm. Jesus understood his purpose. I mean, he's going to give the example of Elijah from 1 Kings yeah. when he goes to the widow. And then he's going to give the example of Elisha, always funny, Elijah, Elisha, That's right. uh, healing of Naaman. From 2 Kings 5. That's right. And once again, a Gentile. So this is what he says. And this is how, if you really want to make people angry, tell them that God uses other people. That's right. Yeah. (laughs) Especially in this Jewish context. That's right. Uh, How can I say it? It would be like, you know, saying to a conservative group that God used all the liberals or saying the liberals that God used all the conservatives or mm-hmm. to a racist group that God is using all of the other people, yeah. you would say, well, they're immoral. They're not fair. It's, uh, you know, and it's, they're totally going to miss the point, but, or maybe they get the point and they just hate it. But verse 25, but I say to you, there were certainly many widows in Israel in Elijah's day mm-hmm. when the sky was shut up for three years and six months while a great famine came over all the land. Mm-hmm. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them except the widow at Zarephath in Sidon. Yeah. It was God's will for Elijah to perform the great sign of unlimited flour and oil until the end of the drought for a Gentile woman, not mm. a Jewish woman, not his own. Mm-hmm. God preserved the Gentile's life while many Jews in Israel starved. Mm-hmm. So once again, it's the whole point. Jesus understands his mission. He's not here to perform for them. He's here to proclaim the gospel and tell them the truth. I enjoy that this occurs in Luke's account, the Gentile. Oh, it's all about Gentiles. <laughs> and he's, yeah, showing how Jesus had a heart uh, because, yes, he was going to start with the Jews, but obviously it was going to go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the other most part of the world. So all Gentile here, and they hate it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and in the prophet Elisha's time, there were yeah. many in Israel who had leprosy 
And yet not one of them was cleansed except Naaman the Syrian. Yeah. Uh, it was God's will for Elisha to heal Naaman, a Gentile, mm-hmm. who was considered an enemy of Israel. I mean, he had a slave girl who was Israelite. So, yeah. I mean, these are people who are raiding your country. However, he did not heal any Jewish men with leprosy at that time in Israel. Mm. So Jesus is just driving home his point. And they said, uh, so how did this crowd respond to the message? When they heard it, everyone in the synagogue was enraged. In their minds, God would always put the Jew before the Gentile. So Jesus's words seemed blasphemous to them. Mm -hmm. Um, This shows how this building filled with religious people were ready to kill the one sent from the Father. Uh, It's ironic. I mean, they're worshiping God, and yet God's here. That's right. (laughs) They're trying to kill him. That's right. Uh, Even in Paul's day, many Jews thought they were saved from simply being Jewish. That's right. So the idea that God helped the Gentiles enraged this Jewish crowd. Mm -hmm. And uh, we see that just, you know, Galatians, Romans, so many places in the Bible. How uh, John the Baptist talking, you think you're children of Abraham, so basically Mm -hmm. you're saved. Mm -hmm. And they're being told, hey, no. God went to the Gentiles, so they are enraged. They are very angry. I love how uh, Jesus expands their thinking. I mean, they seem jealous because somewhere locally to predominantly Jewish people, Jesus performs a miracle. So what does Jesus do? He expands their borders and takes them to the Gentiles. And that's his nature. Jesus was always trying to expand his people's thinking that the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost, which means all people. Mm-hmm. And uh, that comes so out so clearly out right here. And get out of racist tendencies. It, oh, he deals with it. And uh, head on. Not that this is directly addressed, but I, I was talking to Becca, my wife, about our church. Yeah. And, you know, we have like 100 people there on Sunday, and you look, and um, it's so diverse. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I, I was telling her, if it wasn't for Christ, we would have nothing in common from the world's <laughs> perspective. It's true. I mean, you look at the congregation, different, you know, salaries, different different ethnic groups, yep. um, different backgrounds, and yet we can all rally around Christ yeah. and him. And it's wonderful. But uh and then that's what Jesus wants. But here obviously people don't get in obviously before church and so forth, but mm-hmm, mm-hmm. just kind of uh something we can draw. Okay. Um so they got up, drove him out of town and brought him to the edge of a hill that their town was built on, intending to hurl him over the cliff. Right. Uh, Once again, another just fact of scripture, a lot of people I was reading said, oh, Nazareth never existed. But where did they find it? On top of a hill, Mm -hmm. on a cliff. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That's right. um, I love this quote from Spurgeon. So let me try to read this uh, properly. They thrust the Savior out of their synagogue, and Mm -hmm. they tried to hurl him down the brow of the hill. These were his friends, good, respectable people. Who would have believed it of them? Mm-hmm. You saw that godly company in the synagogue who sang so sweetly and listened so attently. Would you have guessed that there was a murderer inside every one of them? Mm. If only in if oh, let me say that again, it only needed the opportunity to bring the murderer out. For there, they are all trying to throw Jesus down the hill. We do not know how much devil there is inside of any of us. If we are not renewed and changed by grace, we are heirs of wrath, even as others. Mm -hmm. But what came of it? Why? Though they thrust him out, they could not hurt the Savior. The hurt was all their own. Yeah. So I I love that quote. It's poetic in the sense that 
it was to their own detriment Mm -hmm. that they tried to take Jesus out. Mm -hmm. And verse 30, I like to think of it as a miracle. (laughs) Maybe not, but but he passed right through the crowd and went on his way. Mm -hmm. So I like to think, and again, it doesn't say this exactly, but with Jesus walking through the crowd, it gives a couple options Mm -hmm. that either for some reason he just walked through, slipped through their fingers. Yeah. Which doesn't seem as logical. No. Just because if you're you know, if everyone's trying to lynch kill this man, you're you're not just gonna say, Oh, I lost hold of him. Mm-hmm. Where this kind of gives the idea that he just kind of, I don't want to say teleported, but just was like boom boom, I'm out of here. Mm-hmm. And we see that. We see that when they were uh remember the fishermen, they were in the middle of on the water, mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden it's like and their boat was on the shore. Yeah. <laughs> like they they were just mm-hmm. they were in one location. And then in the next moment, they're in another location. It kind of seems like that's what happened here. Um, I think that would make for a great theater, at least. Could you imagine there's this crowd of angry people? They're about to throw this guy off the cliff. And then he's just not there. Like, not there. I, was, I was holding him. <laughs> Where yeah. is he? So, Wait, yeah. But however it happened, uh, he passed right through the crowd and went on his way. Mm. It was not his time, so that's he right. walked away. Now, I don't want to give away too much of next podcast, but obviously people can read scripture for themselves and we encourage it. But we're going to see how Jesus moves to the town of Capernaum. Uh, The town had many Gentiles, and uh, we're going to see that this is going to fulfill part of Isaiah 9. Mm -hmm. Um, Some of the Jews and Gentiles in Capernaum would believe in uh, King Jesus and join his spiritual kingdom. Not all of the town, because he's going to condemn it later. But the people of Nazareth were foolish because they kicked out the king but their foolishness would be Capernaum's blessing. Mm. So, I mean, there's a result when you kick Jesus out. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> they, he would just like, I'm out of here. Yeah. Um, I, he, obviously, he returns later, mm. but um, he he was kicked out of town. So, yeah. and I mean, if the whole town wants to kill you, I don't think you want to hang out there. That's exactly right. <laughs> yeah. So let's look at today's timeless truths from this passage. Anything you want to share on that before I uh, we, we jump to this with our applications or... I, I think we're good. Uh, I, I agree with your analysis. It seems more like a, a miracle. I try to think about it like when he goes into the temple and he, oh. he, he throws everybody out because of just his righteous um, righteousness and just representing mm. the Father. But this definitely seems oh. it carries more of a miraculous uh, nature to it because oh. they were intent on, on, on killing him right here. And yeah. um, I, I agree. Uh, I like your lead for our next little uh, session in Capernaum because there's so much that's going to go on yeah. there too. And it's know. their blessing. So, And how often did that happen? We see go on and on about Paul. But it's true today, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, you and I preach, we teach, and people have to make a choice what they're going to do with Jesus. Oh. And uh, they either kick him out or, or they invite him in. And that's literally here. Oh. But we have the same thing today. Yeah. So there's two... Uh, Kind of timeless truths. When we talk about employment points, mm-hmm. we're looking at the timeless truths from the passage yeah. that we can take and then apply in our lives. Because mm-hmm. um, knowing, obviously, you created the fire method. Mm-hmm. So we want to see what was this mean to the original audience. Exactly. Very um, good. What is the context? We, yeah. we don't want to rip it out and try to like weirdly apply it to the church in mm-hmm. a sense that, mm-hmm. you know. But- we can look at the timeless truths from the passage, right. what, what what's behind it that we can take and we can learn, because all scripture is written for our learning. That's right. That's from the Old Testament. But um, uh, we should look at this and say, okay, what can I learn? So 
The people rejected Jesus's authoritative words. Mm. Jesus made it clear that he was the Lord's anointed. Yeah. He was the Messiah. Like the royal official from last Bible study, mm. the people of Nazareth had a dilemma of faith. Would they submit themselves to Jesus because he was the Messiah or would they reject him? They chose to reject him. This would result in the Messiah moving out of their town. Yeah. A question I need to ask myself and really think about this. Mm -hmm. How do I respond when I am confronted by Jesus's authoritative words? Yeah. And expand it beyond that. Go to just the words of scripture, sure. you know, because those are all inspired by God. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we're looking at Jesus's words, but look at more. It's, is it fa it's the faith or fights principle. Mm -hmm. Do I submit in faith and become his subject or do I fight him and yeah. the one who sent him? Yeah. So it's so important. What do we do, as you said, with Jesus's words? Mm -hmm. Do we take them? What do we do with the words of scripture? Mm -hmm. I think the most miserable Christians are the ones where there are clear commands in scripture, with mm. either how to conduct services, who's qualified, yeah. um, so forth. And they just say, well, Bible says this, but culturally, I believe, you know, and yeah. they, they fight the word of God. And that word submit comes up in Christian context all yeah. the time. Uh, we have to submit to government. Uh, we have to submit to our elders, First Peter 5. Yeah. We always need to yield, yeah. and and that's applying to Christians. So absolutely, I believe this is a key component of our Christian faith is yielding to the Lord Jesus, the Word of God. And when we do, then there's a life of being spirit-filled, but when we don't, we're just abjectly miserable. Yeah. I, know. I've, I thought if I could only have a couple chapters of Scripture, what would I take? Mm. And I, honestly, it would probably mm. be Sermon on the Mount at least for those who are part of the kingdom, yeah. because those are the most challenging words probably we face yeah. in scripture, loving enemies, so forth. And we have to submit ourselves to them, the yeah. teachings of Jesus. And I'm looking forward to when we get to the Sermon on the Mount, Sermon mm -hmm. on the Plain, mm -hmm. two different passages, I believe, but mm -hmm. we'll mm -hmm. address that later. But uh, yeah, so what do we do? A thought. As I learn more about Jesus's teachings and words, do I accept them with faith like the royal official, or find them unreasonable like Jesus's hometown. And uh, I know, and we both were trying to be very careful last podcast with the royal official because you don't want to bash the guy. Right. Because at the end of the day, he made the right choice. He did. Where this hometown, uh, you know, it kind of reminds me of the parable when Jesus says, you know, you have the son and you say, will you go and work out in the field? And he's like, yeah, I'll go do it, mm -hmm. but doesn't do it. And yeah. then you ask your other son, will you go work in the field? And he says, no, I won't do it. But right. then he ends up and goes and does it. Yeah. You know, that's kind of how I feel like with this. They liked his message at first and rejected him. Or the royal official, he was brought back, but then he ultimately trusted. Um, then we have our second and final uh, thing we can learn here. A prophet has no honor in his own town. Jesus told the people that prophets are often rejected or not shown respect by their own people. Yeah. Now, obviously, I do not believe there are prophets today. Mm -hmm. We can make the biblical arguments for that. Um, but this principle is true in the modern churches. Many pastors, mm -hmm. elders, and those with authority are treated with less respect and honor in their own hometowns, whereas outsiders show them more respect. Yeah. Uh, I can attest to that fact. You know, when I go to another church or another place, I'm always Pastor Kenny, and, you right. know, and, and they want to ask me stuff. Where sometimes when I'm at church, it'll be like, oh, there's Kenny or look, yeah. there's Ken Jr. Because they remember when I was that little 
you mm-hmm. know, two-year-old kid in nursery. Sure. That's right. And uh, I'm not going to be the type of person that says, you must address me like this, because right. that kind of comes across as a jerk. But I know that sometimes when you go other places, you have way more honor, way more respect. Not that the people don't respect you at your own church, but I think there's that familiarity. They see you every yeah. week. They see you throughout the week. And sometimes uh, um, they just kind of lose that respect to show. I, I don't know if you. <laughs> no, I, I, you, I agree with that 100%. Uh, we are called, like Jesus was, to confront people with God's word. Mm-hmm. And at times, uh, it's not all easy oh. to digest when we're trying to expand our people to think globally and not just to be comfortable with those that are exactly like them. Um, that can rub them the wrong way, but it's, am I going to submit to the word of God and the heart of God, or am I going oh. to um, yield to it? Or am I going to resist it? Oh. They have a choice to make, but Paul's words are so good in first Thessalonians five twelve, And we urge you brethren uh, to recognize uh, and the NASB has appreciate those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, but it's to appreciate them because we really are trying to cause our people to align their hearts with God's heart. Jesus had a tough calling. He was not um, cowardly. He confronted and did the hard things. And ultimately it did build a diverse church. And, uh, and I think it's just so important to show that respect. Um, we were talking Bible study because yeah. I was talking about time management and other things with their young people. And I said, as a pastor, bring me any hard question you have. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Never think, you know, that question might offend. Never think that question is too hard. Because yeah. as pastors, our job is, we might not give you the answer right away. Yeah. But we can say, hey, I can go look that up. Exactly. I can research it. I'll, give, I'll show you what the Bible says about it. Because I was, you know, telling some of the young adults, I, I might spend 10, because I usually log 10 to 12 hours at my desk on a day, just mm-hmm. studying, reading, trying to figure, um, helping. And um, they they need to say, hey, I can come to you and mm-hmm. I can ask you these things. Because the normal man who works, when he time. gets home, he might have an hour or two max. Yeah. And uh, I just feel like we're the ones, the pastors, that's our calling, yeah. that we're in the word. Yeah. So um, we want to teach you the word. But just as you're around people a lot, sometimes that familiarity um, can just kind of say, hey, you know, what's up? You know, we see you all the time, but. And uh, the statistics show that because yeah. we have um, a plethora of pastors that are leaving the ministry. And part of that is because of the attacks from those not showing respect from within the congregation. And I think that's a very sad thing, but it's a reality of it. So our people need to come to us and learn from us. Uh, but they should appreciate the privilege they have to learn at the same time. Yeah, and it's not spoken out of arrogance. It's just the whole authority thing. That's right. You know, just show it. We submit to God and we help. And that's why when I go anywhere, I always call people pastor, you know, if they're a pastor. That's right. I'm not going to call you by your first name. No, that's right. <laughs> well, I'm not really, unless I always hate that, you know, when an 85, 90-year-old person says, call yeah. me by my first name. <laughs> it's like, I know. that seems so wrong. You know, <laughs> you're, you're my elder. I right. need to yeah. show respect. Yeah. But. Sadly, in America culture, it's everyone's Bob, everyone's Bill, everyone's, you know, and it's like, no, we need to show respect. Um, Mm -hmm. We show respect to others. And I think Jesus is kind of hitting at that to a degree. The question I need to ask myself, do I show honor and respect to those who minister to me in my local church? 
Mm. And once again, it's not because they're so great. It's just they're doing what God has called them to do. That's right. So show them the respect and hopefully they're respecting you too. You know, mm-hmm. if, you, if your minister's arrogant or showing disrespect, that's a big, big no-no. Uh, thoughts. Do I show honor to my spiritual teachers in my local church or do I show them little respect because I'm familiar with them? Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's just really good food for thought because sometimes we don't even think about it. You know, sometimes we don't even think about those things. Mm. Anything you want to add before uh, we close here? No, I actually, it was a, a great feeling entering into the pastorate at age 30 full time because I look back and I was always supportive of my pastors. I can remember being at a prayer meeting, it'd be only two of us. It would be the pastor and, and, and me. Uh, and that was good because I just needed to be under their authority. And, you know, back in those days, I never had a dream that an idea that God would put me in the ministry. Uh, so it's good to be under authority because you never know when you're going to be in authority. Then you're going to want those who are under you to submit. So it, it's something that we are, are called to do and we just need to obey uh, and really latch on to Jesus's words here because it's so sad how he got treated. Yeah, and, it, and it's like the same with me and you. Yeah. You're my senior pastor. Yeah. So I can't be like, well, you're just dad. So right. if you tell me to do something, I just shrug it off. Like, exactly. It's just dad. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's like, right. That's this right. is my pastor who yeah. is appointed. I need to, you know, show that respect. Yeah. So I just, I think that's good for all of us just mm. to go over in our minds. Mm-hmm. And then also to just to recap that dilemma of faith. What are we going to do with Jesus's words? Yeah. Um, he was the ultimate example of submission. Mm-hmm. He submitted to the father and he himself is God. Uh, but he humbled himself. Mm. All right. So that that was podcast 14, Jesus is Rejected at Nazareth mm-hmm. from Luke 4, uh, 16 through 30. And the Jesus Said That series, uh, if this was a blessing to you, please uh, like and subscribe. Yeah. That way uh, we know that you're watching and you'll be updated when new content comes out. And yeah. I also ask uh, this week, especially pray for us please. and our ministry at Comer Manor Bible Church. So just write that down if you listen to this. Pray for us, pastors, wisdom, guidance. Uh, We always need it. So um, thank you so much, and we'll see you next time.